What's going on? Welcome to episode eight of the show. Today I'm sitting down with Jordan Moore, who's a good friend of mine. He's an audio engineer, a producer, he's a podcaster, and he runs an awesome barbecue page. Uh, so I'm excited to have him on the show. We're going to talk a bit about home recordings and how you can kind of set yourself up better to get better quality recordings, either to mix yourself or to send off to somebody else, like a studio or someone who runs a home studio who also does mixing and, and stuff like that. Uh, then we're also going to talk a bit about the importance of finding some hobbies and other things that interest you outside of your passion so you don't kind of get burnt out and um, uninspired. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. I hope you enjoy this episode and thanks for joining me. Before we get into the show, I'll mention that I'm playing at the Hops and Harvest Festival out in Milton and that's this weekend on September 24th. All right, let's get into this episode with Jordan Moore. Cheers. Yeah. COVID safe cheers. Cans don't really do it much justice anyway. The cheers? No. You need a clink. You need a clink. Well. Add that in post. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for uh, having me over, man. This is the second podcast I've done in person. <laughs> I know. I know. Two weeks in a row. That's crazy. Awesome, man. Well, I wanted to talk to you a bit today about uh, some audio stuff. And also about the projects you've been working on. We've obviously been uh, friends, I like to think, for a while now. At least in my mind, we were friends for a long time. I don't know when that happened for you, but pretty much when we met, I thought you were one of my best friends. Oh, we had a we had a time when we met. That was a, <laughs> that was a period of my life that yeah. is very different from well, now. Well, we met when you were still playing live music, or not, well, I mean, just music in general, <laughs> with, uh, with Olivia and the Creepy Crawlies. That's right. Which I guess was based out of Hamilton, right? Ish? No, it was in London at the time. London, right? Yeah, we were we all we're all Fanshawe kids for the most part. So it was all out of London, and you were still with the boys in West Hammock. That's right, playing seashells. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But uh, boy, we were reckless. But we 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 ended up hooking up through basically just playing live live together. Right? That's how I met you. You were you were still touring with the band, um, playing guitar with them. Yeah, and doing Aurora ended up booking shows. In Oshawa, in that area, and then she found West Hammock. So you guys, I think we opened for you because it was a, a local show for you. So mm. you headlined this show at like the Atria or something in Oshawa. Which Probably was, the Mustache Club. We tried not, nothing been, against yeah, the Atria, but well, we, we tried we were to there stay. Once. There's lots against the Atria. <laughs> but uh, and then yeah, from there we kind of played a few shows, a few shows at the Central and mm -hmm. things like that in Toronto. Actually, yeah, I think we ended up ended up. Um, Really becoming friends. We did a little recording session at Chalet Recording Studios and then out in like Stouffville area, I think that's mm -hmm. around. Um, and you kind of just came to, to hang out. And then, yeah, I was uh, bored. Tagged along, <laughs> brought a case of beer. Yeah, and then you ended up doing some recording for us and, and ripping a wicked guitar solo on a, on a cover we did of a Lana Del Rey tune. Yeah, the, actually, the first one was, I think, at Old Flame, wasn't it? When we did the live? Yes. The live yeah. EP you did at Old Flame, I recorded that. Yeah, that's true. You came around for that one, but that one I you were coming to. Yeah, do chalet. The I just showed up because yeah. I was bored. Yeah, and then I think for ever since then I really enjoyed um, working with you. It's it's always been a great time, and so I think like back then you were because you you met up with Olivia and the Creepy Crawlies through Fanshawe, mm -hmm. um, and then kind of got in, integrated into the band in that way and then you started playing with them just guitar and, and uh, singing and stuff how long were you with that group touring for 
Jeez. I think I think I was with them for almost three years. If I Time is eluding me these days, but I think it was three years I was with them yeah. before I decided to step away from it. Yeah. And I mean speaking of that too, because you went to you went to Fanshawe for recording. Yeah. The recording program. Uh, so obviously you had an interest in like you know, pursuing that sort of sound engineering, audio engineering. It's a it's a broad spectrum of what that entails, even more so now than maybe even five years ago, right? Yeah. So like what, what so you started it at Fanshawe. What got you into doing audio recording? Because as far as I know about your family, nobody really does that sort of stuff. So like what got you into that in the first place? Yeah, it was more so my buddies Ethan and Brock from high school. Like I had no idea what I wanted to go to school for and that was back in the day when like you were supposed to go to college before we all realized that it's not really guaranteed anymore. <laughs> um, so my buddies went to Humber, and I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to Humber. So I found business management, and I went and did business management there for two years and graduated. But my one buddy was doing, like, jazz performance at Humber. He was a jazz drummer, but he was super into, like, the recording stuff. And there was nights me, Brock, and Ethan were all just, like, in his basement just slamming pints and recording these stupid demos and fun <laughs> videos. And I was like, this is kind of cool. This is neat. And then I discovered music industry arts at Fanshawe. I was like, okay, I can actually, like, do this. And it shows me, it teaches me more than just how to record. It teaches me music business and there's some playing and it's just a bunch of like-minded people. So I, after I finished music business, I kind of decided that, you know what, I'm going to launch into Fanshawe. So I just, I finished um, the business management through the summer and then went straight to Fanshawe. So it was like four consecutive semesters of school to get into where I needed to, where, where I wanted to be. So, and then from there it was just through all the courses, like I didn't enjoy entertainment law. I didn't like the mm -hmm. the theory classes. Yeah, and it was the the recording ones that really kind of stuck with me because it was just kind of nerdy, and you find sounds you like, and at the end of the day, you have a song that's finished, and it's like, yeah, this sounds cool. I like this. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's like the pursuit of of writing a good song or something is like, you know, there's so many different ways to approach it, but there's kind of a standard, like a subconscious standard in a way that people what they expect to hear. So. And I think recording is, you know, you can write a really good song with just an acoustic guitar, piano or something, but then, you know, hooking up with somebody who produces and then also somebody who records are kind of the two, you know, other members of your party, the other members of the fellowship of the ring. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> need to be I can't I can't write a song to save my life, but I can put a microphone in, some, in front of something and yeah. it'll sound like that thing. So like, hey, now I know you can write a country song, man. Wow. That one's a secret one. <laughs> That's on the Patreon page. <laughs> but I like I was never the creative one, even playing with Olivia and the Creepy Crawlers. I always felt out of place when they were looking for guitar parts and I was trying to write those. Like I it was never my jam to do that kind of stuff. Like I like, you know, sipping a few beers and just jamming along and like wanking off on the guitar. It was always a good time to do that. But mm -hmm. like when it came to like, let's write a song that's Radio ready. I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, mm. I just, I know a blues scale and what fret to start it at for this song. So I'm going to make it up every time until I record one. And then I will just practice what I recorded. Right. It was like, I was never the, the songwriting artist type. I was more the technical, like, that's too loud. Yeah. I'll turn it down. Which is funny to hear you say from my perspective, because every, I, I, you know, listening to those songs and when looking back at those times watching you play and stuff, you're such a killer guitar player and, and like, the melodies you write on it, I always enjoyed them. So it's just funny to hear you say 
in your mind you didn't feel like you knew what you were doing but yeah over here i'm like this guy shreds he's awesome no it never came easy at all i was just lucky that i was a fan of protest the hero so i could play guitar (laughs) i just couldn't play guitar intuitively (laughs) so then that like ultimately you know i know that you you played with that band for a while and it's a lot of work it's a lot of work to play in a group like whether it's four people or and i know the creepy crawlies was like seven people six six seven total but six at a time. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so then, I mean, then it was, it's like, there's so much going on. There's so many schedules to coordinate. And as people get more invested in their lives, you know, through their twenties and stuff, it's harder and harder and harder uh, to hold on to that. So, I mean, you kind of were the first one of the band to say, I, I kind of have a different interest. So like, or, or a different career path. So I don't know, like, how did you kind of take what you had from school and that passion of like, recording stuff and having more audio mentality about it and then like you got involved with music and like playing in live bands but then you ultimately were like okay i don't that's not my jam you, you sort of dipped your toes into it and knew that you didn't really want to pursue that and then you went into like um audio recordings and just recording in general was that sort of your plan when you went into the fan shop program because was it more like i, I want to ultimately record not not perform and you sort of got lost in that a little bit as you were performing or yeah i don't think i ever had a plan when i went to fanshawe to be honest it was like i'm gonna go and try some shit out and see what i like Mm. and don't get me wrong playing in the band was a lot of fun yeah but then when it started to turn into something that had to be a bit more serious and business-like i just didn't enjoy it for that reason like there was a lot of tuesday nights in dive bars yeah, where I was, I ended up paying more in my bar tab than the band would make as a whole. Yeah, and it was like I don't think this is what I kind of want to keep doing, but I'm glad I had that three years. It was a, like super fun. I've made like relationships with every single one of those people. That's gonna last forever. Mm-hmm. Like we're all friends for life now because of it. Two of them, Kelly and Connor, just got married two weeks ago. Like stuff that came out of that band is long forever lasting things and it was so great to be a part of it but there came a day where it was you know we were trying to schedule a bunch of shows in southern ontario again and it was like i'm so sick of this 401 ride yeah playing these songs and like i just i didn't want to do that anymore and i had started since i'd moved to hamilton i'd started doing live sound and i saw that like if i do live sound i get a paycheck with like four figures on it and that feels pretty nice yeah and it, I had to start, like, not doing certain things because we were away playing shows. And I just kind of, I took away from that. And I'm once I realized that I'm making enough money with the live sound stuff that in my spare time where I'm with the band, I could instead be focusing on building up, like, either recording or mixing or some sort of home studio business instead of playing these songs. Yeah. And that's kind of where... The decision came from it was like I, I want to be recording I want to be more behind the curtain I don't want to be on stage I want to help people get things that sound good right. to put into the world I don't want to be the one putting things into the world if that right. makes sense yeah no it makes sense which I mean it's funny too because that you know Fanshawe has a lot of great bands that have come out of it that that still continue to do things or maybe those members of those bands do other things like I know just off the top of my head like Texas King comes out of there. Um, Ivory Hours comes out of there, which Luke Rose is doing. He's been on the show, you know? He was on a couple episodes back, but he's also out of that program, as far as I know. And like Walk Off the Earth, Half Moon Run, all those 
people like came out of Fanshawe. It's like, so it's wild, man. Like it's, it's a great, great program yeah. that does generate. It fosters a lot of mm-hmm. music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then, but not. I don't know. Like Fanshawe, the music industry program is more so for, you know, all of the things like recording and and you know law and producing and stuff like that. But it's just cool to see that a lot of songwriters and you know, bands have stayed together after those times and are still continuing to be, you know, Yeah, busy. The, the network that was created from going to Fanshawe was, like, massive. Yeah. There's the people that I went to school with, like, I won't talk to them for a year, and then they'll do something like, that was sweet, and we just immediately talk again. Because yeah. just the connection of the people, and it's, like, it's three years' worth of people because it's a two-year program. So you go in as a first year. The second years are super nice. You hang out with them all the time. Then when you're in second year, you hang out with the first years. So you have three years worth of connections. Right. Plus all the people in the faculty, like all the teachers are all people who are actively in the music industry. And then everyone they know, you just meet through playing with bands or going to parties. And then you've just got suddenly this massive web of people who went to Fanshawe and are interested in music and audio and songwriting. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, you kind of pick and choose who you want to use, or not use, but who you want to connect with and like grow with. And it's just, it was super cool for that. Yeah. And music's like you said, like what you don't necessarily see a return on payment through playing music that's you don't just start playing music and making money or writing songs and making money right <laughs> so it's like it's interesting to see how um you kind of have to i don't know just the passion of of having that needs to be there because otherwise you're just sort of like wasting time a little bit and i find that it's it's tricky because so many people enjoy playing music or or aspire to play or want to play and or not play but like make it a career i guess and mm-hmm. It's tricky. You only have so much time in your life to do to do things. There's so much time in the day to do things. So ultimately, all the collaborations that come your way, you you kind of feel obligated to do them because you want to grow a community. But you know, I found that there's you can only do so much, and so you can't take everything that comes your way. Yeah. Um, so it's I don't know. It's just a fine line. So it's but but again, you know, you, in the world of like home recordings and you know you can distribute music on your own and stuff i find that sometimes you get a little bit in your own cocoon where you're you're trying to garner everything by yourself and then and then emerge with this beautiful product but it doesn't really work like that you kind of need to just you know talk to people and and yeah and you know work on stuff and have other producers and songwriters and just sort of get your legs under you before you think you can do everything by yourself i don't know it's an interesting thing it truly takes a village like yeah if you're a good songwriter, you're probably a bad mastering engineer. Like that's just kind of how it <laughs> yeah. goes. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple mastering engineers that might hate me for saying that, but it's you're usually really good at one or two things, not the whole process, because it's a big process. Yeah, yeah, and that kind of brings me back to to what I wanted to talk to you a bit a bit more about as well. Like we, you know, we obviously do work together. Um, you know, you've recorded and mixed a lot of the material I've released, and I thoroughly enjoy working with you on it for a lot of different reasons um but you said something about about you liked being behind the scenes and and sort of like understanding how to make a really good product um with stuff and something that i really appreciated when we first started recording together was the fact that you were you're you're easy to work with but also it feels more relatable like i know that when i first started recording i just felt like i needed to be in a professional super high-tech studio to make anything that that sounded good or mattered and that's really just not the case and when I, when I first started recording like the first 
few times I recorded, it was like, okay, I need a perfect studio. Like we were, we recorded, you know, in the studios at Coalition Music and things like that mm -hmm. to record drum parts. And now I'll like have a, you know, my buddy Ty record or our buddy Ty record drum parts on MIDI and stuff. And yeah. it's like, all you really needed <laughs> is to sound good. You don't necessarily need all mm -hmm. of the uh, expenses that go along with the, the, I don't know, not luxury, but like the, uh, there's a romanticness. Yes, it's like that's the what studio's for. romanticized yes, to be you. like you. You take the time away for a week or two, and you yep. just go to the studio. But like, hardly anyone can afford to do that. Yeah, and that's where you gotta like you know find producers and grants and uh, and labels or something that can support you. It's it's like such a crazy pool of opportunity, and there's it's not it's a pool less than a stream with like a current because it doesn't push you. Like there are certain things that. You know, you get into professional sports, and by no means is that easy. But you, mm -hmm. you know, you get on better and better teams, and then you go pro, and it's sort of like a at least a linear progression of what you can see, yeah. how you can see that going. But with music, it's almost, it's just widespread. It's wild country. It, you can make it in any way. You can make it on social media. You can make it through just connections and knowing people. You know, it it it's crazy all of the different ways that you can actually um, harbor a career in mm -hmm. the music industry. Um, so with that being said, I did want to talk to you a little bit about some tips and stuff. Cause I know that it's not, we'll get into this later, but it's not your recording, uh, musicians and new projects. Isn't necessarily your, your focus out of your studio mm -hmm. that we're sitting in. Thanks for hosting us today. Yeah. I got a couch <laughs> for you. Yeah. Great. But it's not necessarily your, um, focus on, on how you want to build your, you know, your career. You've, you've kind of adjusted and it's not something that. I don't know, maybe I'm speaking for you here, but it's not something that you've completely shut out for the future. Like you still have those abilities and still have that knowledge. And maybe there's projects like maybe some of mine in the future that you'd be interested <laughs> in doing. I know we're wrapping up an album right now, but that would be nice to work on some stuff together in the future some more as well. So I know you're not completely shutting that door, but you're, you're definitely focusing more on, you know, the podcasting and stuff, which we'll, we'll get into um, after this, but I just wanted to ask you a couple things just because for, for me, I found it really helpful knowing you and learning from you about, you know, home recordings and things like that. And you really taught me a lot about how to do things a little cheaper instead of going to a studio for, you know, a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks to record vocals on a few tracks, um, which, which can be helpful if you're, you know, you're going to someone's studio that you know, and you like them, you want to throw them some money to, to record you. That's, you know, all, all well and done. But if you're doing it a lot, for whatever reason, maybe it's, you want to do that at your own home studio and, you know, you can do that at home and it is possible. And I think that at least for me, it's, it was tricky to know exactly what gear to get or how to do that or, or understanding like anytime I was in logic messing around with my own songs, it would be more for, I would just feel like it was an idea and none of this could be used in the final <laughs> yeah. version of it. So like, I guess the first question I would want to have for you is what would you do, um, like, in, if I was just in a room like this, I know you have the sound baffles up, and that helps a lot as well, but how would you reduce, like, let's say I'm doing a vocal take uh, for a song on something. Like, how would I reduce the noise in the room the best? Like, is it where I'm standing in the room, or, or do I have a curtain behind me or something? Like, how would I get the best audio quality on a vocal or acoustic guitar or something that actually needs to be recorded mm -hmm. live in that space? Yeah, the thing people get caught up on all the time is like, I need a really good microphone and some really good preamps, and then it'll sound good. Like, no, your recording is going to sound like a shitty bedroom, because you're in a shitty bedroom. Yeah. That's just the nature of it. If re your room sounds like a square cube, well, that's redundant, but still, <laughs> it sounds like the room that you're in. 
um, like a lot of people go for the nice condenser mics, you know, but they're so much more sensitive to reflections and reverb and echo. And really all you need for home recording is a, like a decent interface. Don't get a cheap, like $40 interface. Cause all you're going to hear is a hiss. Yeah. But like you need a decent interface and then a good quality dynamic mic, like the seven B or an RE 20, even a 58 works. Yeah. Because they have such good rejection behind them that you're not going to get a whole bunch of room reflections. And the dynamic... <coughs> Woo! The, the, the dynamic diaphragm of that microphone isn't as sensitive as a condenser would be. So you have to be closer and you're going to get a much more direct sound with it. And there's gonna people gonna be people that say I use a condenser because I want the room sound in my recording, and that is correct for a lot of people, but not the bedroom recording artist. Mm -hmm. You don't want it to sound like there's a bed behind you, mm -hmm. and the air conditioning is running, and you're in a four by six room sweating your balls off trying to record. <laughs> you don't want it to sound like that. You want it to sound close and dry yeah. and articulate so that you can then add space to it in post. So what I always what I've always done with you, and I've gone back and forth between condenser mics and dynamic mics, and that's how I know that I'm not going to use a condenser anymore in this room that I have. Mm. But I'll put you in the corner, facing into the center of the room, with blankets behind you on mic stands to give like a booth feel, because I don't want you singing into the corner because you're going to feel really weird about that. But if you're sitting in the corner looking at me. You feel more comfortable to sing to me. You're going to sing more naturally. And all of the reflections that come off the room across from you are coming into the null point of the microphone. And if they go past the microphone, they're hitting the blanket. So you're not getting that extra echo back into your microphone. And it's just, it's understanding how sound waves move. So they reflect off of hard surfaces and then they bounce around and eventually they come back in. But if you've dampened things all around the microphone source you're not going to get nearly as many reflections. Are you going to get mm. some? Yes, because that's how science is. Right. But you're not going to, like with a dynamic, or a, sorry, with a cardioid microphone, not a cardioid, with a condenser microphone, you're going to get a lot more of those sounds because it's so much more sensitive to detail, whereas an SM7B is just really good at the direct sound and picking up what you need. And if it's good enough for Michael Jackson, I mean, it's a pretty good mic. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good standard to follow. <laughs> if, if Michael can use it, you can probably make do. I think I feel like a good practice of that, too, is if you ever move into a new place and the room is barren, like the living room or something, you know, go in there and clap or, or shout, and you'll hear all sorts of bouncing. And then you move your couch in there, you got the TV in there, you got all the, all your shit in there. And then, mm -hmm. and then now, you know, now it's your living room. There, it sounds pretty dry. It, yeah, it sounds it's like, already better. Yeah, and by dry, I mean, I guess for anyone listening, dry, I mean, you know, you don't hear like an echo. Like yeah, when you're in a canyon, kind of our voices on this podcast are dry. I hope. You yeah, didn't add they should be. And your nice yeah. baffles up in this room, cavernous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the best. I don't know. I think like because I do a lot of home recordings and send it out and stuff, and I think that I feel a little intimidated when I do that to send it off because I'm worried that. You know, someone's gonna, an engineer is gonna say, you know, uh, yeah, great takes, but this is so noisy. I can't have the freedom to do much with it. Cause, cause with that being said, you have, if you have that air conditioner running behind you and you have a little hum or something, 
you know, that's going to be in whatever you try to do to your vocal, you're also going to be doing to that in a yeah, sense. As soon right? as you compress the vocal, then the air conditioner is louder. Right. Because that's the, the idea of compression. And then you've compressed the vocal and you put it into a reverb. Now your air conditioner sound is also in the reverb very lowly. Yeah. And super quickly you get this muddiness in your mix that you can't figure out how to get rid of it. Yeah. Because it's just, it's a few decibels in your vocal take that you didn't notice. And now it's just been yeah. multiplied and spread around in the mix and you can't get rid of it now. Yeah. And it's kind of weird too, because like home recordings can be music that wins, you know, highly regarded awards and stuff like Grammys, a, you're a, thinking a of. Grammy or like what did Beck, <laughs> Beck, Beck won, um, I think, a Grammy off of an album he recorded in his basement studio, I think. So did What's Her Face. I forget who that is. I'm not sure. You're going to give me a little more now. <laughs> She's got the green hair. Green oh, oh hair. yeah, Billie Eilish. That's the one, Billie Eilish. <laughs> All yeah. I needed was green hair. <laughs> <laughs> really, I really spun the crap yeah. out of that record. You I, tell. I needed more, but I didn't need that much more, apparently. <laughs> yeah, man, exactly, exactly, right? Like, you can do some pretty wild stuff without having mm -hmm. the whole luxury or, um, like you said, romanticism of going into a high-end studio yeah i mean that's really fun and you're definitely going to get some you have real to do it shit. once or twice yeah 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 but you don't need to do it for every single you put out no and and then that also opens up the kind of the floodgates to where, where we live now in the music industry where there's so much music just being put out and then it doesn't matter where it's recorded it's just good shit and you just have to keep putting music out right now yeah everyone's putting music out so fast yeah like if you're not putting music out every couple months you're behind yeah. And there's 87,000 people on TikTok a day putting songs out that somehow go viral. Yeah. And you're like busting your balls trying to get a recording studio booked yeah. for $10,000. Like, I mean, the one thing I learned was having a faster feedback loop is so much more important and useful than trying to get things perfect. And what I mean by that is, the faster you put something out, the faster you know if people like it or not. Yeah. If you sit and work on a song for a year and put it out and nobody likes it, that's a year that's gone. Yeah. If you work on that song for two months and put it out and nobody likes it, you can put a different song out in two months that's different and see if they like that. Or if you put it out in two months and they like it, you can ride that wave while doing another one in the similar vein in two months and then you keep the momentum going. Mm -hmm. But if you do 10 songs in a year... And they only like three of those songs. Well, there's seven songs that are no good to you that you spend a year doing. Yeah. So just the fast feedback of putting stuff out, getting feedback on it from people and fans and anyone you're putting the music out for is just so useful in you deciding what trajectory you're going to go with. Because you can change your course at any point yeah. after you put a song out, but you can't do it if you're spending a year not putting things out. That's true. That's true. I definitely agree with that. And I, But I also think that with that being said, like finding, um, kind of following your own trend, like of something that does well, and then you put something out and uh, to try to kind of keep riding that wave. It's, it's like a balance between, because you don't necessarily want to just follow a trend in what's popular. Because mm -hmm. um, that'll be harder to write, I think, for yourself, depending yeah. on how you write. But um, so it's almost like a balance between, okay, I don't care. You can't not care how the song does because if you're putting out music, whatever you're putting out, you obviously want it to be heard. You have to not care what the response is going to be. But you're right. You also have to have sort of a strategy mm -hmm. on how to, 
you know, it, it, let's say you, let's say you put out a song that you were really proud of and you get 500 hits in six months. Mm-hmm. Is it because the song sucks? Is it because you didn't promote it well? Is it because there's just so much shit out there yeah, that you just I, have no traction? You just don't have time, traction. Like, like, why should anybody, you know? Listen to your music. You post a story. You post a thing that says, "Hey, listen to my song." Somebody's gonna scroll right by it because they're like, "I don't care." It's like trying to say, "Hey, buy these new paper yeah. towels." It's like I don't care. You have to kind of find a way less of. I don't know because you can't take away from your focus on writing a good song, but you almost have to like put a little bit more attention into how you can get these songs heard. It's almost like if you don't feel like you're being annoying, then you're not promoting it properly. Yeah. You have to feel like you're being an annoyance. Yeah. And you're not because everyone's looking at thousands of people a day. Yeah. And if they don't like it, they just swipe past well, how many, it and yeah, they don't yeah. think about it. How many videos have you scrolled by that you just don't even remember? You know, yeah. Jesus. You're not annoying anybody because they don't know it exists, <laughs> which is hard to think about. But you're not, like, it's true. You're If you're not feeling like you're being annoying, you're not promoting your stuff enough. You've yeah. You've got to... You've got to be posting almost every day about it, and the people that don't want to see it just won't look at it. Yeah, and they'll still think you're a cool person. Like it's fine. <laughs> and I had a, I had a, actually a good conversation about that with with Luke, uh, with Luke Rose. Um, we were talking about you know the balance between feeling like you're I don't know like burdened to promote and burdened mm-hmm. to post. But he had a good insight on it where he was saying that you know. Yeah, okay. If you want if you like writing music, unfortunately that's sort of what goes along with it in a way. Yeah. Um and so find a way that the promotion can also be productive for what you're doing. Yeah. And so, you know, for example, if you're trying to promote a song, maybe maybe you're you're you know, you'll get a ton of hits on a video where you stitch something that's popular at the moment or you duet something that's popular and but you hated doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it gets you a bunch of bunch of hits but you had the worst half hour putting that together <laughs> it's almost like you want to grow in the craft that you're making um you know to to promote it so for example like you also run your barbecue stuff and your mm-hmm. barbecue page and that stuff you know you not only garner uh you know an audience for some of the podcast stuff that we'll get into but you also get better at cooking and you know anyone who's your friend it's like, God damn, I love going to Jordan's for dinner. So yeah, you've eaten pretty well since I started. <laughs> so it's a, it's one of those things where you better yourself through the promotion, you better yourself through the writing, and you kind of just need to find a, a nice harmony. And then if it picks up that way, you're going to be so much happier yeah. than than something that you've created that's sort of just fake and reaching. And I think that people can kind of sniff that out a little bit where they know that you're full of shit a little bit and and just trying to get views, which I guess everybody's trying to do, but you kind of do it in a sneaky way mm-hmm. to get people to know, like kind of connect to you as a human being yeah. online, which is, is fucked up, but it's the world we live in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so ba- based on the audio stuff, I, I think I just kind of have one more, maybe I'll have one more, but another question, um, just off somebody who does home recordings, like, and would send them off to engineers, how would you recommend, let's say, somebody who you know, maybe has a few songs out online, has a bit of a bit of a monthly listenership, but they're super passionate about it. They're doing a lot of their own recording at home. They're trying to get more into recording stuff and sending it off. How would you recommend somebody finds or approaches like a professional engineer? Like I was saying, I feel kind of sometimes overwhelmed when it's like, oh shit, I want to find, you know, I'll look up bands that I really enjoy listening to and find their producer or their engineer. And you're like, okay, well, how would I approach this person to work on me with my project? Um, are there any tips you have for somebody reaching out like that? I think like the first main thing is like, don't be intimidated because 
this producer or mix engineer or mastering engineer is also just a creative person running a business trying to make ends meet and work on cool shit. Like, you know, if they don't get back to you in two days when you emailed them, like, it, they're busy. Yeah. Like, it's it's usually almost never personal. Um, so don't don't be intimidated when you're trying to reach out to someone. But the really, depending on where you are in your career, like, look around at people who are slightly above where you are, so kind of where you want to be in six months or a year, and ask them who they're working with. Ask who's mixing, who's producing, who's doing the things that you want to have done for you, and go from there. Look into them, see, like, check out their social media, check out their websites, see if the vibe that they're putting out matches you, and if it does, just either email them or DM them on social, because that's usually faster than an email these days anyway, and just say straight up, like, hey, I need a song produced, here's a couple of my things, I'd love to work with you, do you want to chat? And then you have to do the uncomfortable thing that creatives hate, and you have to get on the phone and talk to them, <laughs> which sucks. But like, most phone calls I've had are not that bad. Once you dial the number and press call, mm-hmm. it's like a panic attack. Well, the phone's ringing, but they yeah. pick up, and you're like, "Oh, it's just a person. Cool." Yeah. yeah. And just you just got to talk to people that you respect and ask who they're using, because if you respect them, I'm sure you'll respect who they're working with. Yeah, and I find that a lot of a lot of um, those instances you get the information that you wanted and it, you know like one time i remember messaging uh valley the band valley mm-hmm. about their song uh there's still a light in the house mm-hmm. and there was a cool synth part in there and we just thought like fuck it let's message the band on instagram and <laughs> see what they used and whatever worst case they don't get back to us and they just like literally messaged back the exact shit they used on that song yeah. it was like what yeah <laughs> they give you the exact it's not like a magician who's hiding it you know it's like yeah no you ask anyone about themselves yeah. they'll tell you all about it yeah like people love talking about themselves yeah and there's been times <laughs> where i've reached out to somebody to say hey how did you get your song in this what's your contact and they go like ah, yeah, i don't really pass that around you're like oh, okay i respect that that's okay yeah. you want to hold that close that's fine like and, and that's cool because you can't always have you know if you want to share all of your con- like if i shared your information to every single person that you know I, I've met it's like oh, it gets a little exhausting. much yeah it gets a little much for you too so yeah there's a, there's a fine balance there mm-hmm. but I think that's a good point just don't be intimidated and, and but know what you're looking for don't just look up engineers who do mu- like you know yeah. find somebody in your realm find somebody that you actually enjoy working with and and want to work with and contact the people when you're close to needing them um, yes that's a good point. like when you've started writing a demo don't go looking for a mix engineer because they're going to have questions that you can't answer mm-hmm. and then everyone gets annoyed. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you can say like, um, I just started a project. We're going to need a mix engineer in like six months. Can you rough your rates to me? And like, I love the work you do. That's fine. But mm-hmm. don't be like, Hey, do you do mixes? Yeah. How much would it be for a song this, this much and blah, blah, blah. It'd be this much. Okay. And like, what's the turnaround time on that? It'd be this much. Okay. Well, when I'm done writing the song, I'll let you yeah. know. Like, don't do that. Mm. Um, because that doesn't help you either. Cause six months down the road, maybe they're busy. Their rates are, yeah. they've upped their rates or they're too busy. Well, and then also, unfortunately you've made yourself an annoying person in that other person's yeah. mind. Yeah. And also don't ever announce the song until it's been mixed, please. What do you mean? Like announce that it's coming out? Yeah. <laughs> I gave you shit for this many times, <laughs> but there's so many people that like just quietly create your things. Yeah. Because, you know, like I think there was a time I was mixing a song of yours and you're like, it comes out on the 22nd. And I was like, 
I haven't started that, yeah. dude. What do you mean? Does it? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm away for two weeks, and yeah. then it's the 22nd. Like, you don't... No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, There's. I mean, obviously, there's something to be said about planning, but planning your releases and planning your schedule around a release is yeah. just as important as uh, how you're recording it and what you're doing with it. Like, I get it. It's exciting. When yeah. you send it off to, to be mixed, you're like, yeah. I'm done. I'm going to start promoting it. But then you just sewer the mix engineer. Because mm -hmm. if he's given you a three-week timeline, he or she has given you a three-week timeline, that might not happen because maybe one of your files sucks and you have to redo something. Yeah. And then you still have to get it mastered and then do your promo. So if you're just like, it comes out in three weeks, fuck. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> have it, yeah. And then you're the band going like, oh, just actually another week. Oh, crap. No, it'll be in two more weeks. Like, yeah. Just wait till you have the files that are done. And then go ham. I, yeah, I, I always found that, that that was the problem in in the band we you know that I was playing in when we when we met um, was that we would we would write stuff and then we would want to play it right away because we were excited about it. But then then anybody coming to the shows would hear newer stuff or something and be like, oh, where can I hear this? And then we wouldn't have any of it out. And then we sort of had this the wrong feedback of writing songs, playing them, and they're not released, and then our old stuff is out online. So there's like a balance of writing things you're really excited about and just holding on to them. Yeah. And not saying shit about them. And so then by the time people have heard your, the record that they're enjoying or the songs they're enjoying, and you know they've been hanging on to that for X amount of time, now you've got a whole other roster of shit that's done, and then you've also been working on other shit that's for after mm -hmm. that. So you kind of need to like somehow just chill out for a minute and then finish yeah. a bunch of stuff that you're happy with and then get the ball rolling. And that's that's kind of what helps at this day and age is, you know, you ha you have something done and you're already working on the new thing before what you finished has been announced to even come out. Mm. So that way you've always got something in the bank coming out eventually yeah. and you're never scrambling to create something to come out because then then you're not creating naturally. It's not you writing a song because you feel like writing a song. It's you writing a song because you absolutely have to. Because mm. if you don't, there's nothing coming out for six months. Yeah. You know, so just hang on to it. Yeah. Cherish it. By the time you put it out, you're going to be sick of the song anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just, that's how it works. But it's new to everyone else. And then when you see that they love it, that renews your love in the song that you wrote. Yeah, totally. But, and I mean, with all that being said, I think that it is also important to, if you are feeling overwhelmed with, like, keeping up, with you know the, the the there are times where you'll run into like self promotion through social media, and then also trying to write, and then you know you're working your day job and you're trying to social life, and you just find that you're overwhelmed with trying to do all that stuff. It's okay to take yeah time off. Like some some people that I really f love following online, sometimes I'll be like, oh yeah, shit, I haven't heard, I haven't seen that person's stuff in like three months, and then all of a sudden things will just start firing back up yeah. again. You're like, oh, okay, now they're back on posting. This is great. Mm -hmm. But I didn't I didn't forget who they were. It's not that I stopped caring. I still care. I still want to see that th that stuff. So I think that it is also important to know that like even if even if you're trying really hard to uh, build an audience and build a an online presence that even if you're still in those early stages, it's important if you're feeling burnt out to pause because then you can come back at it with a bit more um, um inspiration yeah and i don't think that because you feel the overwhelmed and feel tired that that means you don't care about it anymore maybe not every time but uh 
you know, if you find yourself just feeling overwhelmed, it's okay to stop posting online. You don't have mm -hmm. to fucking post every day for six years for Instagram to be like, all right, you're serious. Now we'll give you the algorithm. Yeah. Like that's not, it's not, I don't know. Like it's always changing, yeah. but you it's know. more detrimental to post half-ass content anyway. Than taking time off and posting better shit. I yeah. agree. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so we started the conversation just about talking about your transition from playing in like live bands to live sound. Um, and I know you still take on projects like that. Like, you know, we mentioned that we're wrapping up an album together as well. Um, you're working on some other some other bands and artists. Um, but you, you've sort of switched focus a little bit in what you've been doing to your um I guess you'd call it a podcast um, production production agency thing. Yeah, yeah. Hard to put your finger on exactly what it is, but like, you know, that this is one of the main reasons I started this this show was because you started the influential barbecue in the backyard brisket stuff, um, where you had you know you started getting a ton of traction online for your for your awesome like cooking content and um and meals and then you started the podcast and then that sort of bred into the the hub of everything where you do edits and um and promotional stuff and and just sort of work with other podcasts to make them the best they can be and sort of give somebody some professional guidance and how they can do that um basically like a podcast production company essentially yeah. right uh so that's really you pushed me to start this and it's been an interest of mine for a while but we sort of got into it together and that's why i started this show and then before this you started the influential barbecue so how did you go from like what 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 sparks your interest in you know kind of getting out of live sound a little bit or, or or not live sound but i mean that's one of your avenues but also recording and audio engineering what made you sort of like uh, compelled to to lean over into podcasting stuff yeah i think because like i i'd always wanted to do like recording and mixing for bands and a large reason why i was doing a lot of the live sound was a to pay the bills and b i was meeting all these bands who could potentially be clients to record or mix but what i was quickly discovering was that I didn't have a space to bring bands to, and a lot of bands wanted a space to go to, at least when I was perusing around looking for clients. Right. And I didn't, I had no interest in renting a space. I didn't want to do the whole, you know, like, it's going to be this much for to work with me and then $1,000 to rent the space for three days on top of that kind of thing. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't really working out that way. I did a few... I think I did a couple with you and an artist, Don River, and someone else where like I would travel to them with a whole entire yeah. mobile setup, you know, all the 16 channels, computer, monitors, all the cables and everything. I would just come to you and we'd go to a cabin or a hunting camp or a, a beach house or whatever and record some songs. But pretty quickly, I also got sick of loading my entire studio into a car yeah. on weekends to go do these. And... So the live sound stuff was just becoming easier to say yes to. And finding these clients for recording was just becoming a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. I just figured it'd be easy. Like, oh, this guy does music. Let's record with him. But, like, yeah. that's not that easy. Um, and mixing was mixing was the main goal at the end of the day. I always enjoyed mixing a lot more than recording. Like, 
There's something about sitting there and retaking the one phrase in a verse 18 times that really bugs me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't enjoy that as much as I enjoy mixing the final product. I don't know how many people actually enjoy that. <sighs> Some people love getting the best take out of people. It is just, <laughs> but it wasn't me. And I quickly learned that, you know, I can get the good take out of you because I can talk to you very specifically, yeah. which I couldn't do with a new client. Right, right. Like um, you sucked. That was, that was good. Yeah. Right, holy yeah. fuck. Try that again. Yeah. Um, but, and then I, I learned a lot that mixing, a lot of people wanted who they recorded with to do the mix or their producer to do the mix, or they had a guy that was doing all their mixes already. Mm. And any interest I got from bands were, this might sound a little crass, but the shitty bands that had nothing good out yet. Yeah. And I wasn't interested in... And they I didn't want to. I didn't want to mix those songs. And they also I, don't have a budget either. Too, yeah, right? yeah. They had a hundred bucks, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And they, <laughs> you know, the tracks were usually bad. Could I make them sound better? Yeah. Did I want to? No. So I kept doing the live sound stuff. And then COVID hit and I lost all of my live sound work. And a podcast that my partner listens to, their editor broke their hand and couldn't edit. And she's like, do you want to message these people? Because they edit, or like they have a podcast and need a person. I was like, I know how to edit ums and uhs out of a thing. And so I started working with them. And I've been with them two years now, working on their show. And, you know, a few of the live sound shows came back after a while, and I just... I went and I did them and I just hated it because it's like 18 hour days. It's all labor for the entirety of the day. You're working with sound for like an hour and a half. Yeah. And then you get home, you're drained, your weekend is shot, all your muscles hurt, your yeah. ears hurt. And you get up the next day and you go do a different show. And it's like, you spend all this time working on a show. And at the end of the day, it's like you weren't even there because mm -hmm. you've torn it all down, put it in a truck and drove it away. And I just got really sick of, working so hard for something that didn't stick around and that no one remembered anyway because you know everyone's out drinking at a show like yeah they're not paying attention to anything other than the chorus of the song right right like, they don't give a shit what the sub array was or how the <laughs> monitors were rung out perfectly and stable yeah. like they don't care yeah very few people are like leaning over shoulders to see where the monitors are yeah, running to or whatever they don't care <laughs> and it just it, it got to the point i was like i don't want to do this anymore so i hired a business coach from the Six Figure Creative Podcast, which is probably a great podcast for anyone listening to this one. It's just all about how creatives and freelancers can make money and not be a piece of crap and hate themselves doing it. Yeah. Um, but I hired him to be a business coach, and I kind of just wanted to do a podcast thing because I could do a Monday to Friday, work when I wanted, work with who I wanted, charge what I wanted. And he's like, "What? what's like the main goal of this? I was like, I want to be sitting at the hunting camp looking out over the pond after I get back from a duck hunt or a deer hunt that morning and just editing a show for somebody yeah, waiting for the evening hunt. I want to be that remote and yeah. that off the grid that I can just pick a laptop up, go do whatever while still maintaining this business. And he's like, all right, let's set it up. So we started setting up the pod cabin, which is my podcast business, www.podcabin.com. And I've got a few clients now. I've got a couple editing clients, a couple production clients. I'm starting a whole new uh, barbecue podcast with some really cool people um, in Florida and Alberta. Um, and it's just kind of really taken off in a way that I find a lot more fulfilling than pushing road cases around or trying to get musicians together in a room and not get too drunk to record. 
Mm-hmm. Like I get the, I totally get the appeal of you know going to a studio and just slamming beers, because that's the fun. <laughs> that's so fun as the artist, as the engineer, it is not fun. No. Um, and no, I won't say that. I was going to say there's a lot more money in podcasts than music, but I'm not going to say that to a music podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think that it depends, right? Like, it depends on on what you're doing. Like, I mean, off the hop. Probably yeah. like, with with the clients that I was going for for recording or mixing. There's just naturally podcasts start at a higher price range. Yeah, and I don't have the space, the gear, or the experience to go for a higher price range of recording and mixing. And there's so many people out there that do more mixes better than I ever could. That would be more than happy to work on your song. That I didn't feel like I wanted to put more and more time and energy into getting better mixes and better music clients. Yeah. When I was already getting drawn to podcasts anyway. So I just, I decided I wanted to not cut the tie, but I didn't want to pursue the mixing anymore. I wanted to go to the, this business side where I can help people create more of a story and just make podcasts that didn't sound like shit so that their message actually got into the world. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, it's a little bit easier, well, a lot easier to record um, a podcast than it is to make music. Like, hey, don't discount my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, everybody can talk. Everybody can have a conversation. Some people are better at it than others. We've, <laughs> we've all experienced that. Yep. But I think that with writing music, it's one of those things, like, how often do you have a conversation with somebody and you you end the conversation you're like, fuck yeah, that was a great, I fucking sucked about that conversation. You know, I mean, like, it happens sometimes, but you don't necessarily think about it. But when you finish writing a song and you're get you with the the band or you're with by yourself and you get this sort of, like, jolt of energy of you've completed the song and you're like, this is is our song. This is going to be the song. This is our song. But while you're thinking that, there's, like, 10,000 other people who are releasing a song tomorrow that also think that, too. And I think that... because of just the volume and also the amount of fucking time it takes to find your own unique voice and also polish it and make make it streamed and and like just hone it in it's much harder to do that with a song even something like simple sounding like you know riptide by vance joy mm-hmm. production wise pretty easy going lyric wise I mean, great, but it, it all in all, pretty easy going. Like, yeah. I'm yours, Jason Mraz. Kind of in the same realm, a little easy going. But that takes so much fucking work to make something that free-flowing sound yeah. like that and then to get a billion plays on, like, an acoustic sort of vibey song yeah. that you're like, my band makes this. Why aren't we as famous as Jason Mraz? It's because, like, it takes a lot of fucking work yeah. to find your footing in music. And I think that podcasts have a little bit more interest in the the like the the rivers that spread out of the main stuff. I think that you still have a bit of um, ability to catch listeners or to catch people that are interested in what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If you're and, and and then if you're talking about something that you care about, other people will care about, and it's also a little easier to polish it up. Yeah, and podcasts are super niche driven. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're putting music out, you want a lot of people to listen to it. Yeah. If you're putting a podcast out, you want the audience you're targeting to listen to it. And one of the things I've kind of learned about podcasts is that you're not trying to reach everyone, but the reason you're putting a podcast out is for content marketing. You're creating content 
that's going to go to your target audience, whether that's, you know, people you want to sell whatever you're doing to, whether it's, um, you know, in your case, like you want to link up with other creatives in the industry so that you can work together in the future. You're growing your network with before the tour by talking to people and just having a conversation through a podcast. Yeah. And like nowhere else can you just sit down and chat with someone for an hour and just pick their brain about anything that they would charge everybody else to tell. Yeah. You can't do it. And then from that, you get all these pieces of content that you can use. It's like one a one hour podcast episode can be four pieces of content for the entire week. Yeah. So you don't have to record 18 reels trying to write songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's such a different way to connect with people and just grow your own brand and network. And it's so simple because you're just talking about what you know anyways. And you're just naturally putting it out into the world. And it sounds good, and people like it, and then all of a sudden, when that topic comes up, they think of you. Yeah. And it's it it's a lot easier to, it's it's a lot more simple to, kind of market a podcast than it is a song, I think. Totally, totally. Because because with a song, like it doesn't matter what genre it is, you're still marketing a song. Mm-hmm. Like there's not much niche to a song, but that's where you find people sort of digging into that a bit more, in a way, because um. You'll find like storytelling, um, storytelling songs, like um, or like improvising a song mm. off of a of, off of a narrative or All something the, like that. that. TikTok where it's the very specific indie song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, who was it? Dan uh, Mangan did. Yeah, that, yeah. Dan yeah. Mangan posted a fucking hilarious <laughs> one of that. But that's what I mean. It's like so fucking specific that now it's almost found a niche within the song because it's like somebody going, somebody who was just broken up with in a in a peach tree field and yeah who it was like a full moon and then there was two clouds yeah. to the left and they looked like animal crackers and you were wearing and a purple dress there was a purple dress and there was a bee flying near my nose and it was 2 13 and you're allergic to bees and that always reminds me of august or something you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and now i never eat honey yeah. <laughs> did we just write something dude? i, I think we did. just wrote something jesus I've, if i didn't hate recording i'd track that right now all right you're back in let's go let's cut this let's go <laughs> Yeah, man. But no, I, it was kind of a switch just based on my own interests and passion, I think, because I've always been kind of a businessy guy and a business in mixing wasn't working for me. Like I didn't, I wasn't getting fulfillment out of it. Mixing the songs that I've mixed were always fun and great, but I didn't want to go through the like finding crappy clients to mix other things. And there's so many people who aren't ready for a song to be mixed yet that I talk to. Yeah. Whereas if I get, you know, five six seven podcast clients they're putting out two episodes three episodes a month all year and it's keeping me busy i don't have to constantly be going to find an indie artist with a budget we've just i've got clients we've agreed on a price and we just go with the motions and they don't have to worry about the podcast it's just it's edited and i send it back and they go thanks yeah you know it's just it's easier and it fits it more into my lifestyle where like I want to be moving around more, hunting and fishing and doing all that kind of stuff and not have to worry about like hauling all of my shit too. Yeah. Um, but anyways, man, I know we got some sausages to cook and uh, some dinner to eat and some <laughs> hanging out to do and some uh, cigars to smoke. So before we wrap this up, I think that, you know, a, a kind of undertone of this whole podcast has been finding your passion, finding your lane and trying to 
understand what burnout means and you know maybe you're burnt out like we were talking about with you know taking a break from social media or maybe even taking a break from writing or whatever you're doing but ultimately at the end of the day you know what you're passionate about and you can lie to yourself but I think you know exactly what you want to do maybe you're writing music because you think it's really cool to do but you don't actually really enjoy it and you find it very taxing to to do it versus other times there's things that are draining but you just can't get away from them Mm -hmm. you have you just Something is just pulling you into it, um, but you could still you still feel burnout with even things that you're most passionate. Like musicians that you look up to or that are touring, and they take a tour off, and you're like, how could anybody be touring the world and be like, I'm too tired to do this? Yeah. You've done, you're doing it. <laughs> Keep doing it. So it's important to look back on yourself and say, okay, I need a minute. And in the world, like we were talking about, the world we live in right now where everything is moving, new songs are released every day. You feel like you got to put a new song mm-hmm. out every month. On top of that, promoting every day on social media or every other day on social media yeah. just to get people to listen. Like, It's like, where the fuck do you hang out with your friends? When the fuck do you sit down to read a book or, mm-hmm. or enjoy the sunshine and realize... Well, that became a problem with you and I, too, because yeah. every time we hung out, it was like, oh, come on over and let's record some things. So yeah. there's like a solid two-year period where every yep. time we hung out, we were either recording yeah. or working on a song or something. And I was like, can we, like... Maybe this time we don't bring any microphones. Just for... I don't know. I just... Fuck it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I just realized every time we hang out, we're working. Yeah. Like, we're making food and we're having drinks and having a good time. But it's always like, oh, I've got to make sure we finish the song. Like, why don't we just go to the lake or something? Like, yeah. Why don't we just <laughs> commit today to hanging out? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, to, to end this, I mean, this is this this episode's coming out at a perfect time because it's a few days before we're we're heading out to the Kingston area to do our well now i can say annual because we did it last year this is the yeah. second year second annual annual duck hunt um and i i don't know i guess that what i'm trying to say is i think that it's important to find things outside of what you think um, your passion is and to take a break and to find like a hobby that you enjoy um and something that you can go do whether that's traveling or whatever the fuck it is whatever you want to do whatever you like mm-hmm. doing but from from myself like we sort of i don't even know when it kind of came up how this whole how this whole endeavor started but a few years you back you started watching meat eater yeah, well yeah i love that show that's how it started and then there was a pandemic and you're like i'm going to get my hunting license yeah Seems, well our our good you know. buddy Sean, Sean got me into that Sean was yeah. you know also played in West Hammock played keys and stuff um fucking killer keys player mm-hmm. great dude but he, yeah, he's really gotten me into it as well. And then I don't know if we just hooked up through that, but you know, a hobby of ours over the last couple of years has been evolved into uh, hunting and fishing. Yeah, I grew up hunting and fishing all the time, and I took so much time off of it when I moved away. And like, I think it was just as the pandemic was coming, I was like, I want to do more fishing. I just don't have time. And then it was like, oh, I've suddenly got all the time, but now I'm not allowed to leave my house. And I, then I started watching Meat Eater too. I was like, this is so cool. Man, I just love what this guy's doing. He's just yeah. walking around, hunting, fishing, cooking, all this stuff. And it's just like, shit, I want to do more of this now. And I guess that also ties into the pod cabin because I was like, I part of my goal was like, I want to be at the hunting camp working on a podcast. Yeah. Like, well, and you started <laughs> promoting the pod cabin with your own podcast, The Influential Barbecue. Yeah. So you're like, you started it with a barbecue podcast basically to be like, hey, I make podcasts. I can make yeah. your podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, it's so important to find, like, after I got went to school, I've, I've been in the mindset that like, I've always got to be working on what I'm working on. 
And I still have that problem now. Like if I'm away for the weekend, I'm still thinking about what I have to work on the next week or how I could find more clients. But now I'm also telling myself that it's okay to think like that, but you still just need to like fuck off and go away for a bit and do stuff. And that's where I started to really make the time to go hunting and fishing more because it's just, I never get out to do it. And I never got out to do it because I was always like, oh, it's too expensive to buy a rod and then go to Kingston with dad and on the property and do that stuff. And I was like, no, fuck that. I'm going to just start doing it. Yeah. Because why I could sit here and work or I could go home and like clear my mind. Yeah. And I, I think the cool thing for me, the reason I liked getting into it is one, you're connecting yourself back to nature just inherently by being out in the woods to mm-hmm. do it, you know. Um, so I, I really enjoy that. That That is rejuvenating for me. I can feel it immediately when I go for a hike or something. It's like yeah. it's right there. Um, so you just have to be out in the woods to go hunting or fishing. And so legally, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I, I think that that tied me into it and I knew that it just felt replenishing. And then also on top of that compounding, it is the fact that I really think that there's something to be said about eating something you've caught or shot or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, I know that that's kind of violent for people to, to wrap to wrap around in a way like but at the same time it's the uh circle of life it's the way that things go things kill things and eat them um yeah. even even some fucking plants kill shit and eat it you know like that's crazy <laughs> like so I, it's just the way the world works and it kind of ties you back to it and it does it is a little bit aggressive or 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 violent but i don't know there's it's i mean i watched a video the other day of a zebra trying to kill a baby zebra by drowning it because they were both males like <laughs> yeah <it's>, we're <laughs> We're not that bad. Like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, oh, the poor zebra. Like, that's just it's wildlife. It's what they do. They're not civil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, as much as we like to think we're not, we're a part of that circle. You think that zebra's going to eat the zebra after he kills it? No. <laughs> no. It's going to let it rot. But some, some then the gator. crocodiles yeah. get it and they're happy. It's a whole thing. Yeah, but the gators and the birds will get it. And yeah, it's just, it's so nice. It's a completely different feeling if you get a duck or a fish or a deer and then you cook that yourself. It's entirely different from unwrapping something from the grocery store, and it's a feeling that you'll never get yeah. if you don't do it yourself. Yeah. And I get why some people would not want to do it. Yeah, I think that that's an important thing to 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 find is is even if it's like you have a you're, you and your significant other do a podcast you don't release together. It's just like something that I really enjoy about doing these is that, like you said, you have an hour or something to talk to somebody without interruptions. Yeah, this wouldn't work if you know you were. You know, we we could be having a conversation without these microphones, and maybe every once in a while, one of us will check out to answer a text. Yeah, but we're not going to do that right now. We have a goal to have a conversation. Exactly, and it's it's really nice. Um, so even if you don't release podcasts or or whatever your hobby is of doing yeah. it, going for a walk, going fishing, something just to just yeah. to fucking be by be in your own mind and under yeah. just try to understand yourself again. you don't have to be productive all the time because you can't be productive all the time it's hard that's a, that's a good message so go waste some time doing something that you, at least makes you smile a bit that's perfect yes <laughs> and hire me for all your podcast needs yeah so okay speaking of that <laughs> i know you said the podcabin.com yeah thepodcabin.com the podcabin Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. All right, sweet. And then on Instagram or wherever, where can people reach you, man? It is at that Moore or at the Backyard Brisket on Instagram. And you can find both those from each other if you need to. Sweet. Those will be in the show notes as well. So check it out on uh, on my website or 
just in the uh, Spotify, whatever you're listening to. It's all in the show notes. Jordan Moore, I love you. I can't wait to... Uh, this is releasing on the 19th, which if you're listening is today. We pulled and, triggers on the 24th. And we'll too, be ripping off to the cabin awesome. on, on this weekend, man. Perfect. Can't right, wait. Bud. Love you. Love you too. Let's call it. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jordan Morris. So if you have any audio questions or recording questions or questions about podcasting, you can reach out to him. And don't forget that you can also leave a rating for this podcast, which also really helps wherever you're listening. I'll see you again in a couple weeks with another guest. And thanks for checking it out.